Alright, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open the word and to see what you'd have us to see. Help us to, to see and appreciate this section that we're covering in, Lord, and to, to listen to your spirit as you guide and lead. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto adoption of the children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That's as far as we're going to go because there's going to be some interesting things here. Whenever, whenever a church talks about predestination, everybody's hackles usually grow, get real, real up and at them. And hopefully when we're done, you're going to have a new appreciation for predestination to find out that you love predestination. Because we're going to expand predestination to more than you ever thought of it. Because the minute we say predestined, everybody thinks, well, that means that God has predestinated some to hell and some to, some to be children of God. And unfortunately, that is the part of predestination that gets all the, all the talk and all the, all the publicity. But you know, I've talked about predestination quite a bit in this church, and you all aren't even aware of it. Matter of fact, most of the time when I've talked about predestination, you all have smiled, shook your head yes, and you've, and you've been happy to hear about the predestination. You just didn't know that it was predestination that I mentioned. I mentioned predestination probably two or three times a month. And you don't know it. <laughs> so we're going to give you, give you an expansion upon predestination. And you know what? I just learned this this week when God showed it to me about how much I've talked about predestination and how much predestination is a good thing to us. One thing about predestination is we as Americans pretty much hate the term. And as Americans who really hate the term more than any other nationality out there. Why? Because pre Americans say, nobody's going to tell me what I can do. And if the government thinks they can tell me what they can do, I'll just vote them out and put a new government in. That's how we look to authority. We as Americans generally look at authority of they have no business telling me anything. The idea of predestination to somebody who lived under a king was quite a different story. <laughs> because they lived under a person that if they didn't like you, they could take away everything you own. They could, send, they could kill you. They have no problem with predestination because they're used to a king ruling them without a problem. So we're going to look at predestination and say, open our eyes a little bit. Predestination simply means pre-known. And because he pre-knows, he, he is pre-decided. Now, there's a, there's a view out there, and, and most everybody in the Baptist circles, when you talk about predestination, this is what they'll say. God knew what you, looked down the corridors of time, knew what you were going to decide, and so he, so that was what he predestined you to do. And to tell you the truth, I was in that camp for probably 20, 25 years. Then I started reading the scriptures. <laughs> and I'm going, uh, God isn't somebody who bends his will to what I say and what I do. He is the king. <laughs> he's going to do what he wants to do. And he's not really going to care whether I want to join him or not. Now, we have a bend. We have a, have a way that we look, a way that we go. You know, and we've talked about this before. Saul was knocked off his horse and blinded by the God and said, I want you to follow me. 
Now, Saul had a free will. He could have told God, there is no way I'm going to follow you. Even though you've knocked me off this horse and you've blinded me and you told me what I'm going to do, I'm not going to do it. Now, if there's anybody in this room that was of the opinion that they would have told God no <laughs> under those circumstances, I'd really like to know how you, you know, talk to you and find about that stubborn streak. Because as stubborn as I am, <laughs> you know, and the desire that I would have not to do what I'm told, <laughs> if I'm knocked off the horse, blinded, <laughs> and hearing this message, I'm going to say, uh, I think I'll listen. <laughs> okay. This was an example of God saying, you're going to do it. Did he have a free will? Could he have said, yeah, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. Yes, he could have. But none of us in this room, nobody that I know that I have ever met would have said, uh, okay, God, you blighted me. You knocked me off my horse, but I'm not going to follow you. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to stick with my, my belief in Judaism, and I don't care that I'm hearing your voice audibly. I'm not going to do it. Okay, none of us would have done that. Do you realize that God can make sure your circumstances are such that you will make the decision he wants? Have you ever, maybe with your own kids even, tried to move them in the path that you wanted them to do, but you wanted them to be their decision? So you kind of set up the, the set of circumstances that you were pretty sure in your mind they would end up making the decision you wanted them to make anyway. Was it their decision? Uh, yeah, it was their decision, but you kind, of, you kind of did what it took to get there. God can do that. But more importantly, there's nothing that God allows to come our way that he doesn't say is in his will. And we've talked about this many times. We, you know, one of my favorite phrases is, God, you're never going to hear God say, whoops, I never knew that was going to, I didn't know that was happening. Okay? That's predestination, people. We love it when it's the good side. <laughs> we love it when it's him saying, I'm not going to let anything happen to you <laughs> that I didn't plan. But when we think about this and we tag it into salvation like it's so often done, we don't like that possibility. And you know what? I have trouble with it too. <laughs> I have trouble with it too. There's the side that says he knows what our decision is and he made his decision on whether we were going to get saved by our decision. you got the other extreme with the hyper-Calvins that say that you cannot even make a decision for God unless he gives you the grace and the faith to make a decision for God. I don't buy that. That's not what the scriptures teach us. You know, they talk about irresistible grace, that once God wants you to be saved, you're going to be irresistibly forced into making a decision for him. And they'll tell you that, matter of fact, you can't even make a decision for him because you're dead you know, and they'll say such stupid things as, well, a corpse can't do anything, so a dead person can't make a decision for God. That was one of the dumbest things I've heard the Calvinists say every time they say it. Because I am still alive. <laughs> I make decisions all the time. And even before I was saved, I made decisions spiritually all the time. Okay. Uh, now, they're right. I'm not going to be inclined to make a decision for God in my flesh. And all of us living in our flesh aren't going to be inclined to make decisions for God. You know? And if you don't believe me, think of a time that you were backslidden and not following God, not reading his word, not talking, you know, not going to church, and, and think about how many spiritual decisions you, good spiritual decisions you made during that period of time. Been there, done that. <laughs> you know, been there, followed away, you know, fallen away, and I didn't make a lot of good decisions. Now, I didn't make a lot of really, really, really bad decisions, but I also didn't make good spiritual decisions. 
And this is going to be true. We're not going to make good spiritual decisions outside of God. But God knows our decisions. Does that mean that he's destined some people to heaven and hell? I have no I have hard time accepting that. But it's what the scripture says that he predestined. It also says that he desires none to go to hell. It also says whosoever will can make a decision for him. So, and, and of course, the ones, that, the ones that believe in predestination are so strong, they go, well, you know, they like, like to add some words to God's word. You ask them about whosoever will, and they'll go, well, that's whosoever will that God has predestined. I'm going, you can't add, the word, add to God's word what you want it to say to match what you want it to believe. We have to be very careful that we don't read God's word colored with what we believe when we read it. And this is something we all have to learn. Those of us who've been raised in churches, you know, it's amazing to me when I go to a different church, you know, and I grew up going to all kinds of different denominations. My dad was in the Navy, and we went to all kinds of different denominations. And what really amazed me as a teenager is how two, two or three different denominations could read the same exact verse and come up with three different meanings for the verse. You know, it used to bother the daylights out of me. Why could they do that? Because they read their church's doctrine into the verse. Our church says this, so this verse must mean this. It really doesn't, mean, doesn't make sense that it means this, but it has to mean this, so we got to, you know, they color it with what they believe. And my challenge for each person in here is when you're reading the scriptures, ask God to help you see what they say. Not what does the Baptist say that they say. Because I'm going to tell you, for the most part, the Baptist beliefs on, all the, ver on, on the verses is pretty solid. But they do the same thing in some of their verses. They'll read a verse and say, well, Baptist doctrine says this, so this verse must mean this. And if you really want to start a controversy, start talking about the Holy Spirit with the Baptist and how they interpret the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. And then go talk to a charismatic or a Pentecostal or an Assembly of God or a four-square person to start talking about the Holy Spirit and how they colored the verses. It's quite amazing, quite amazing conversation you'll have. Because they'll be on as far apart as you can possibly get. <laughs> Which one's true? Well, one thing I've learned about conflict resolution is the truth is somewhere in the middle, usually. If you've got two people holding diametrically opposed truths, the truth is probably somewhere in the center of the, of the diametrically opposed truths. Predestination is one of those things. Does God say that this person is destined to hell? Well, that's the one extreme. Does the other side say that God has nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or hell other than you accepting him? That's the other extreme. Somewhere in the center is the truth. And you know, the problem that I have is my puny brain, as a human brain, cannot understand God. I can't understand half of what he wants to tell us. I have to accept that what he says is true. And I've shared this with you. This was Dr. McGee's, who did through the Bible, he said, wherever I and Bible disagree, I'm wrong, and the Bible's right. <laughs> okay? Sometimes there's going to be things in the scriptures that we find hard. How do I put this together? How do I say that God's predestined things and yet I have a free will? To me, in my little brain, that doesn't make any sense. I can't even put it together. There's an example that people use, and I think it's a bad example, but I'll give it to you for what it's worth. On on the door as you enter into, the, enter into Jesus, it says, whosoever will, and on the other side, forever, forever chosen. <laughs> okay? That kind of goes into the Arminian camp. You know, anybody can walk through the door, and if you walk through the door, you were chosen. Uh, again, 
as you study the scripture, though, God is sovereign. God is going to do what he wants. He is the master. He is the ruler. Now, will we talk most of the time about that? No. <laughs> do we take great comfort in it that Satan has to go to, the, go to the Father and say, God, I want to test this person, and he has to get permission to test us? That's predestination. God says yes or no. He many times is going to say no. Many times he'll say yes. That's part of his predestination. Now, we like that part, don't we? Once I'm in God's kingdom, I like predestination. Nothing bad is going to happen to me that God doesn't allow to have happen. But you know, it's also for the lost person that goes through that same thing. God knows what's going to happen. He knows. Every single person, I believe, has the opportunity to know Jesus because he said he does. They will have light. And it's amazing the light that God gives people. The, here in America, we've got it made. You can go any, just about any place in any town and find a church. In some places, you can find lots of churches. Florida is probably the only place I've ever lived that only has one church. Okay, Most of the places, it doesn't matter how big or small they are, there's three or four or five, a dozen, you know, 60 churches like there are in Kingman. You know, there's so many different churches. You, we can hear the gospel. You can hear the gospel by turning on your radio. There's, I think, the last count that I had, there's like 11 Christian channels that broadcast into the Golden Valley area. Now, unfortunately, all of them don't broadcast into here because just like cell phones, <laughs> a lot of the signals don't get into this little, little congate. But there's two Christian channels that get into here. You know, we can, hear the, we can hear the gospel. We can be exposed to the gospel whenever we want to, and even by accident. If you watch TV, there's plenty of gospel shows on the TV. You know, now, whether all those pastors are worth listening to or not is another story altogether. Uh, but we can hear the gospel. But do you realize that there's all these testimonies about Muslims in, in the Islamic world who are truly seeking after God, and he sends them a dream? Jesus in a dream says, I'm the one you're seeking. God can do anything he wants to get the gospel out. Missionaries would go to these tribes in the middle of nowhere in Africa and South America, and they'd start giving the gospel out. And the, and the tribes would start saying, we've been waiting for you to get here with the rest of the message. You know, we were given some dream or some, something, and they're waiting for the rest of the message. The message of God is going to be given out. In Revelation, it tells us that after the church is gone, God's going to do a great job giving the message out. He's going to have an angel flying around the sky proclaiming the gospel. What, what would you think about that? An angel up in the sky, here's the gospel, <laughs> preaching the gospel, giving people that last opportunity to respond. God's desire to get the gospel out is not limited. He does his job of getting the gospel, displaying the gospel, teaching the gospel. And I've shared with you how many times I've listened to people's testimony and they'll go, and I finally heard the gospel for the first time. And it is funny when you talk to somebody that's been a family member that you've shared the gospel with two or three times, and you know that some friends have shared the gospel with them two or three times. They get saved and their testimony is, I heard the gospel for the first time that night. Yeah. And it probably is really true. It was the first time they actually heard what was being said. Now their ears and their brains heard it, but but their conscious didn't really understand it or hear it. 
I heard somebody say just the other day that the average person hears the gospel seven times before they respond. That's kind of scary that somebody has to hear seven times. But you know, as you're preaching, as you're teaching the gospel, you're sharing the gospel with people, what number are you? We don't know. We might be the first person that's ever shared the gospel to them. And oh, what a blessing it is if you're the seventh. And granted, I'm using that metaphorically. It could be, you could be two or three or a hundred, you know, but you know, the blessing when you're that person that gives them the gospel and they hear and respond. I hope you all had that experience of leading somebody to Christ, getting them to say they're a sinner, they deserve hell, and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you see the change in their face. You, change, you see the, the weight of the world come off of them. You see the smile that comes across their face as God lifts their sin from them. It is amazing to watch. And I, and I love watching it. And I'll tell you, sometimes I've seen people who got saved and you, they just automatically start even looking younger as all the weight is taken off of them. And it's like, wow, you know, this, you've, all the beating that you've taken by the world is lifted off. The gospel is so important. Predestination, God, God is predestined. He's got a path for us. Have you ever said that God has a plan for you and that God's got a plan for everybody else? You're talking about predestination. Now, as Christians, we might like that plan. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're not a Christian, we might not like the plan he has for us. But he's got a plan. Does that mean that there's absolutely no, because we still got to look at whosoever will and how that fits in, I don't know. I'm going to be flat out. I don't know. I have trouble with predestination like everybody else does. I do know that I love most of it when it's for my good, and he says all things work together for good. He has a plan for everything bad that happens to my life. By the way, that would mean if somebody dies in their sins and goes to hell, there's a plan in that as well that will do some good. Now, I can't imagine how that will be good, but it does at least brings people to an an acceptance of the reality of death. Very important for us to understand. Is is the idea of being saved or not saved part of predestination ever going to make us happy? I hope not. I hope not. Because it is in God's hands on whether they're going to get saved or not get saved. It's his decision. God can take, and, and, and Paul told us that he's the potter. He makes vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And you know what? Both are needed in a, in a place. If you're going to wipe up a, 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 an oily spill in your house, you're not going to go grab the best towel you have in the house and wipe up that, that spill, usually. <laughs> Unless it's the only one you can find. You're going to go find the ratty towel that's at the end of its life and, and use that towel. You know, you know, you've you got somebody working on your car and they go, hey, I need something to wipe my hands. <laughs> You're not going to go in and grab your, your favorite <laughs> outfit out of the closet and say, here, wipe your hands on this. You know, there's all this out there. There is a need for vessels of honor and dishonor. God is out there, and he says, I have got a plan. He will reward us according to his plan. You know, and this is a key thing. Nobody, when they get to get stand before God, can say, God, I was, part of the, I was part of the ones destined for hell, and it's your fault that I didn't accept Jesus Christ. He's going to say, no, you were given a chance. You were given the gospel. God is the great judge, and he is going to be the honest judge. How that fits into predestination, don't ask me. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I haven't been. 
every every few years I'll try to figure it you know try to figure it out and it hurts my brain to try to figure it out uh, you can read theology books out of them those guys don't know anything else either even if they think they do and you, they write out their big arguments on why it has to be Calvin side predestined or Arminian side of all, all, all your free will neither one of them know what they're talking about and that's what you come up to when you read both of them it hurts to try to figure this out but know one thing and this is what we've talked about God is bigger than us. God is smarter than us. God will always be smarter than us. He will always know things more than we know. And you know what? If we could figure him out, he wouldn't be God. If we could go, God, I've got you completely figured out, then I'm, I have a God that's too small. If you're worshiping a God and you're thinking in the Bible that you have all the answers to every possible question in the Bible, you don't have a big enough God. You're not seeing a big enough God. There's all kinds of questions. And if I'm lucky enough to live into 150 and I've been studying God for 140 years at that point, I still will not know everything there is to know about God because he is still going to have things in there that are going to surprise me and I'm not going to be able to understand. Why would God even create man knowing that they were going to fall? That he would have to send his son to die for them? I can't even figure that one out. And yes, I see some benefit of that one. He, he gets to have us. Well, I don't know what benefit that is, but he gets to have us. That he redeemed. Oh, what, what, how he sees us different than we see ourselves. I don't know what it is about humans that he says, I'm willing to die for you all. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense at all to me that God would do that. Because you know what? I sure wouldn't have. I sure wouldn't have done that. The pain it was going to cost to redeem people, the fact that he had to give up his life, a being that had been alive forever, had a period of time when he was dead. And that was the cost he had to pay to redeem us. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. So much about how God deals with us, his love, his grace, his mercy, the way he deals with us, really makes no sense when you really look at it closely. What does he get out of it? Yeah. Somehow he gets us and somehow he thinks we were worth it. I know that I wasn't worth it. At least in my eyes I wasn't worth it. He didn't get much out of me. Not much at all. I love him, I, I praise him, I glorify him, but he had a whole multitude of angels to glorify and praise him. He didn't need humans to do it. And yet he did something out of it. Now my challenge for us is always, how big is your God? How big is your God? I've met, I've met people who go, I know all the answers. I'm going, you do? <laughs> yeah. Almost always they're young. <laughs> Almost always they're fresh out of seminary. You know, I remember getting out of Bible college. I knew all the answers to every theological question there was. And then I started studying more. And holes started getting plugged, pushed into all those things I thought I knew. And I'm going, wow, uh, this is not as, not as cut and dry as it is. This isn't as obvious as I thought it was. This isn't as easy as I thought it was. We're going to be studying the rest of our lives to get to understand God. Even when we get to heaven, we're going to spend eternity getting to know what God knows. Because even when you've been with God for a billion, 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 billion years, 
you still won't know all there is to know about God because he's infinite. He's infinite in knowledge. He's infinite in character. And anything that you look at him, he's more than. This is why when I first started here, we went through the characteristics of God and tried to show he's more than. Whatever you think you know about his character, he's more than. All-powerful. He's all-powerful. No matter how big or how good you think all-powerful is, multiply it again by, by infinity <laughs> and come out with an even bigger number. I challenged everybody when I talked about omnipresence. He's everywhere present. And I challenge you to think about this. He's not just everywhere. He's every time at the same time because he's outside of time. How big is your God? How full is your God? How infinite is your God? If there is multi-universes, as the physicists are starting to tell us, he's the God of every single universe. How big is your God? And their times. And strong enough in there to be all-powerful. We need to come to the conclusion of, when we think we know who God is, be ready to learn more about him. Challenge yourself to get to know more about that depth. Yeah. And you know what the sad thing is? It's also true, we never know any individual completely. Yeah. And you might go, well, I know my spouse pretty well. Yeah. That pretty well is the part I'm talking about. Yeah. You've been married 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, and they may still do something that surprises you once in a while. Or say something that surprises you once in a while. Does it get less and less as you know them for a long time? Absolutely, because you pretty much know what they're going to do most of the time. But how boring would life be if we knew them so completely, we knew everything they were going to do, say, think, act, and we knew exactly what it was going to be always? You know, we, don't, we won't. They're human. They're going to they're do something that will surprise us. They'll say something that will surprise us. Maybe, maybe anger us, maybe surprise us, but they'll do something that we didn't expect. God is going to be that way for eternity. He's going to do things that we're not going to be, we're not, not going to know. He's going to challenge us. He's going to make us think. He's going to be more than anything that we know. He's going to be greater than anything that we uh, accept. And sometimes he'll even give us something that we think is a terrible thing to happen in our life and then show us a few years later that there was a great thing to happen in our life. It, it brought us to, in, to him in a different way. Have you ever gone through a hard time that actually drove you to God in a way that you never would have thought that it would have taken you? you know, something goes totally wrong. You lose your job. All of a sudden, you have no income. And all of a sudden, you're now praying to God for money. You know, especially if you got a good job that you didn't have to talk to God about money. God, I'm able to pay all my bills. It's no big deal. And the next thing you know, you don't have a job. He takes away the death of a spouse or a child or a sickness comes our way. And all of a sudden we're said, God said, I need you to draw closer to me. And we take our comfort in him. Is it easy? Is it, is it hard? It's hard. It's hard to go through those type of trials and push us toward God in a deeper way. But we come out of it with a deeper relationship with him, a different appreciation for how he loves us and cares for us a different appreciation for watching him work. God does these things, and we need to just let him be God and let us be the followers. Usually the only time we really have a hard time is when we fight God. Believe me, I've been there. I've been there plenty of times fighting God. Yeah. And sometimes they weren't even very 
important things, and I'm fighting God tooth and nail and living miserably because I wasn't ready to sacrifice and give up. Sometimes God is just saying, let go. Let go. If you're holding on to a rope being pulled by a car, and you're dragging along behind the car, you probably should let go of the rope. <laughs> now, a lot of times, we'll sit there and hold on to this rope. I'm somehow going to stand back up, or I'm somehow going to stop this car. I want to be where this car is going. You're better off letting go. Water skiers are taught that. If you fall down, let go of the rope. <laughs> you know, uh, unless you want to be drug around the lake a little bit, let go of the rope. <laughs> and if you get drug around the lake, it's probably not going to be at the end of the world. You get banged up by the water and, and bruised, maybe. But they teach you, let go. <laughs> of the rope. We need to let go of the rope oftentimes when God's dealing with us. Does it, is it easy to do? No. Yeah. How, how hard is it for us to say, I am going to let go and let God be the ruler? We call him Lord. We call him Master. How often do we sit there and go, God, I'm not going that way. You want me to go left, God? I'm going right. I am not going to surrender. I am going to do it my way. I don't care that you're my Lord, which is a contradiction in terms. But how many times do we tell God that? Maybe not outright verbal, but we do in the way we act. And God's saying, let go. Let go of the rope leading you the wrong way, and I can come by and pick you up. I will come by and pick you up. He wants to do that for us. He wants to care for us in that much love. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you to look at the plans you have for us. Lord, you have a great plan for us. You've predestinated what you want us to go through. You've predestined what kind of vessel we'll be and where we will end up. Lord, we ask that you will help us to let go. Let go of our desires. Let go of our wishes and turn to you. And Lord, many times I will be, they will coincide, but other times they won't. And everybody here, I want you to challenge you right now. If you're in a place where you need to let go, just say that to God. Ask God to help you let go and to follow him. Very simple prayer. Lord, I ask you to help me let go of my desires, let go of my wishes, and hold on to you and go your direction. And just follow you. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to challenge you. Get to know him. Your eternal destiny depends on it. We talk about knowing Jesus, and that isn't just believing and knowing that he existed. It is to really know him as a friend, as a personal friend in your heart. That when somebody says, do you know Jesus? You go, yes, I do, and you can't convince me that I don't. Knowing him that well. The prayer is simple. Just you confess, God, I am a sinner. I deserve your punishment. Jesus paid that price. Come into my life and save me. Bring me into your kingdom. We thank you, Jesus' name. Amen. If you said the sinner's prayer, come and talk to me. I'd like to get you a book that will help you make the decision to follow him and help in that decision to follow him.